Hello, and welcome to All Things Marketing and Education. My name is Ilana Leone, and I've devoted my career to helping education brands build their brand awareness and engagement. Each week, I sit down with educators, edtech entrepreneurs, and experts in educational marketing and community building. All of them will share their successes and failures using social media, inbound marketing or content marketing, and community building. I'm excited to guide you on your journey to transform your marketing efforts into something that provides consistent value and ultimately improves the lives of your audience. Welcome everyone to this week's episode of All Things Marketing and Education. Today, I'm super excited to talk with my friend, Monica Burns. Besides being a wonderful human being, (laughs) Monica inspires educators around the nation. Monica is an ed tech consultant, um, a curriculum consultant, an author. She recently just launched another book. Um, I believe it's called EdTech Essentials with ASCD. And she's a former New York City public school teacher. You can find Monica um, blogging up a storm, podcasting herself, TikToking, doing everything Clubhouse. Um, her website is classtechtips.com. And her podcast, Easy Ed Tech, helps educators think about, think about technology with deeper learning in mind. So welcome, Monica. I am so excited to have you and talk to you and just learn from you, because I believe during this really challenging time, you have so much wisdom to tell educators, to tell our audience of ed tech marketers as well. So I am so excited. Welcome. And if there's anything else I missed, I know that you have a a big resume. Please add to it to give our audience some context on who you are. Oh, well, thank you so much for having me. I can't wait to chat with you today. Awesome. So I love talking about just the why. I think a lot of our clients, when they come to us as well, I get them to reorient back to their passion. And I don't think you've ever lost your passion, but I never got to hear the story of your initial passion with education. Mm -hmm. So maybe let's rewind back to Monica as a public school teacher in New York City. Like, how did you get into it? And where did you discover this love for really devoting your entire life to helping students and now educators around the nation? You bet. Well, I went to school to become an elementary school teacher, which is not everyone's entry point into the education space, but my undergraduate degree is in elementary education. And it was always my goal to be in the classroom. And I had an opportunity to come back to New York. I grew up outside of uh, New York City, but I had a position offered in New York City public schools right out of college. So I started teaching when I was 21. years old um, in right uh, right north of uh, Central Park. And so I was there for about seven years, a little shy of seven years in a fifth grade classroom, working with third graders, working with fourth graders, um, being part of a transition from a traditional public school to a magnet school uh, with a focus on environmental stewardship. So sometimes people have heard me tell the story of the cart of iPads in one corner of my classroom and the big compost bin in the other corner of the classroom. Just one of my favorite ways to illustrate the importance of having a balance uh, between a lot of different types of experiences. And in 2012, so coming up on 10 years this spring, which is 
a lot to <laughs> a lot to consider at this point. Um, I started speaking and writing and sharing all about education technology, which really came out of the work in my classroom, being one of the early ones to go one-to-one with iPads in New York City and in different parts of the country. And it's an area where really just brought me back to my roots of being interested and excited and passionate about teaching and learning, having that infusion of education technology when I was kind of at that seven-year itch part of my career uh, was really an exciting space to be in and and still one that I'm, I'm very excited and passionate about. I'm curious, when you were a public school teacher, what was that? Was there a moment that... How did you get that push to say, I want to create content or like I've worked with so many educators, especially at Edutopia. And when I approach them and say, you have something amazing to say, can you please write for us? Can you please do this? They say, "Uh, you know, I'm just doing what every other educator is doing. So how did you get that push? Because it's it's a real Mm -hmm. big thing for educators and they have such wisdom to share like what was it was it a person or was it just like hey, i'm going to try this and no one's going to listen and <laughs> just keep going yeah i mean it's so interesting and i love the way that you asked that question because i think that the mindset so many of us for the classroom background have is you know i'm kind of in my own world i'm doing the best that i can i might be in a school where the doors are open and i can ask for help and share ideas i might not be i happen to be in a really small supportive school with a lot of conversations um, at lunchtime and all the times with my colleagues. But what really shifted things for me uh, is that we went one-to-one with iPads in grade five and my fifth grade classroom as part of that pilot, just a couple classes. And it was really early on, like trying to sync up iPads by myself with my old MacBook and iTunes, you know, at the time before we talk about these larger deployments and systems. And so the Apple education team, the sales team, and I were in touch because we were one of these early places and, you know, they were helping support a little bit, you know, answering my questions of what to do and how to set things up. We didn't have another IT person at my school. There was kind of, if you want to do this, you got to figure it out. Right. And so it must've been, I guess, like early winter um, in 2012, when they had asked me, the Apple education folks, to come to an event they were holding after school for some teachers, just to talk about what I was doing in my classroom, which was not an ask that I had really gotten before on any subject area, you know? And so I went, it wasn't that far from where I lived at the time, just a couple blocks away from my apartment. It's like, no big deal. I'll go after school. Um, I had my iPad with my little, you know, couple apps that I love, ready to talk about a little slide deck ready. And I showed up and it wasn't a couple teachers. It was a couple hundred teachers. And I kind of got that look from them. Like if we told you what this really was, you might not have come, (laughs) you know? Um, so I just kind of did what I was asked to do and jumped on what was now a stage, not like a room after school and started talking about all the things that were happening in my classroom. And when I walked off, that's when all the questions came, you know, what's your blog? Where can I find you on Twitter? You know, where can we follow? And I'm like, uh, this is not what I signed up for. This is not part of my you know, plan as a teacher. And it all just kind of 
you know, spiraled sounds almost like a bad word, but it all just kind of went from there in terms of, you know, getting the ball rolling where, you know, in hindsight, I did have experience with WordPress because I was helping run my school website, you know, and I did have experience with some different social media platforms, you know, from other things that I had been working on. And so, you know, when you look back, it kind of makes sense, but it also is because, you know, these were areas of interest that I might not have been able to identify or pull together until I was really pushed to do so. So fast forward from like March to May is when I launched my website class techtips.com of that same year, started tweeting things out and not really being sure what that meant, you know, in terms of sharing stories and favorite uh, tools and strategies. And that's when folks like Edutopia, you know, reached out to say, Hey, can you share your story? And started doing that really early on. I became an Apple distinguished educator that next summer. And so kind of built my network and started growing from there. My first ISTE was in 20. 13. And so coming up on whatever year nine of that, uh, this June. And so it's been a really exciting, you know, almost decade of this work of content creation, content sharing. And of course, you know, you know, better than anyone, just how much all of that has shifted and changed and evolved. And even the way that we talk about it, you know, in the past 10 years or so. Yeah. And ISTE at that time was called neck, right? Was it, it was, was right. That? It was right. a little bit the after. Shift. Yeah. Okay. A little bit after the shift. Yeah. Yeah, I think I went to the first net, the last neck was my <laughs> first experience of ISTE. Um, so I just want to point out to everyone listening, that journey of Monica it has some similarities of our last guest as well. So if you're an educator and you're just not sure what you're doing is exciting or you want to dive deep into something, you know, there are some similarities of really connecting out using social media, really connecting with brands too, getting those certifications. Mm-hmm. There's so many cool ambassador programs out out there that you can take advantage of and open up your network. And, and honestly, as a creator, I feel like this all the time now because I'm creating more and I'm sure you do. I feel like I'm talking out to the ether <laughs> and I'm like, does anyone hear me? Does anyone hear me? And I was recently listening to a Gary Vee podcast and he said, mm-hmm. you know what? For two years, I went on YouTube. For two years, every single day, I went on YouTube. And no one listened. No one commented. But it's all about patience, being a creator. Mm-hmm. And then just it, at the end of it, it's just about you, too. It's it's fulfilling yeah. your joy. Like, I, I don't think you did this to say, I'm going to be this amazing consultant that does, you know, keynotes and all that. It's just more of like, hey, let me dive deeper into this. Let me really nerd out into this issue. Mm-hmm. And, and that is an educator's yeah. mindset, right? It's just learning all the time. Absolutely. And I think too, you know, when you're passionate about something, you know, it becomes evident to anyone who you're talking to about, right? So they want to talk more to you about it. You build that network and you're absolutely right. Those ambassador programs for me were transformative in terms of my professional career, not just for building relationships and lifelong friendships at this point. It's been a long time with a lot of people by my side there, but also just to see what was possible or what I wanted or what I didn't know was a potential career path. You know, I'll never forget sitting like in a room with a fellow ADE or Apple Distinguished Educator 
and saying, oh, I'm thinking about going for a master's, you know, in, in education technology. I have my master's in American history and him just turning to me and say, you don't need another, go on to the net, like go for your doctorate in this program and like recommended a program that I ended up taking, you know? And so it's just having these professional conversations with people who are not in your everyday network, but being able to connect and understand what you do in a way that's a little bit different than the people who you do spend all your time with, right? Even professionally might not quite understand, especially if you're in a classroom teacher environment, supportive or not as supportive as you would like, there's just so much happening in these different spaces. And yeah, I feel the same way about the content creation, just not being sure who might hear something, right? Or, or who might read something. That's only part of part of it. You know, it's it also comes back to that network building and just sharing your passion and getting it out there. Agreed. So let's shift gears a little bit more. Um, let's talk about the pandemic. Mm-hmm. And you've been in the thick of it. You help teachers transition to 100% remote when everyone had to do that. We, mm-hmm. you, were, you were helping. I saw you every day in every single social media feed sharing tips and tricks around hybrid and then the shuffle of in-person and out and the technology surrounding all those environments. Yeah. Like, talk to me about, like, how did... EdTech evolved because you got to see it from the vantage point of helping educators professionally, but also partnering with EdTech brands, right? So talk to me just like how it evolved. Mm -hmm. And then the most important question I think everyone's thinking of is what is here to stay? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, question. And just like you shared, you know, I wear two hats in my professional life. So half of it is educator facing, running professional development, creating content for educators, classroom teachers, digital learning coaches, uh, folks who are supporting educators in that way. And then the other half of my work is brand partnerships and working behind the scenes with different companies to help them make certain decisions and also get the word out about their work. And so for everyone was affected in a big way, you know, last year into our now. And last March, I did my last conference in Seattle when Seattle was a deserted and just emptying out and thought of as being an epicenter until I came back to New York city where I live or right outside of New York city. And that really was, you know, where, you know, we were ready to shut down just a few days later. And so, you know, by the end of March, I was for the first time in about five years, it was the longest I had been in one place. Uh, so once I kind of hit that two week mark, it was the longest I had been not at the airport in you know five or six years, just to kind of speak to the the travel component of that shift. And so, you know, my work with educators in that March, April, May, June timeframe for finishing out the year and planning forward was really around prioritizing and deciding what was actually important and what really needed to happen in order to connect with students, whether that was embracing a learning management system or looking for just a few core tools that were gonna help check some boxes around formative assessment, connecting with families. So just really narrowing in on what are the big things here? Because at the same time, you know, there were a lot of emails going out from every company that you can imagine in our ed tech space with the best of intention, sharing their resources, some of them being able to support others of them saying, actually, we can't handle this bandwidth, right? And didn't think that things were going to be more than just a few weeks. Um, And so it was a very noisy time for a lot of educators alongside really supportive, wonderful ed tech companies trying to create as much value for the people that they love and work for, you know, all the time too. So I think 
you know, the navigation of that was really interesting from both of the hats that I wear to provide value without feeling potentially overwhelming, you know, so that's a lot of what I do is curation of resources and sharing and positioning them to say, this is worthy of your consideration, or this might not be for you, but tell a friend, right. And kind of getting the word out that way. And so that was just ramped up right with just the flow of all of these tools to say like, this is the one that is going to be worth it, or this is a great opportunity for you to try this out right now, or you might fall in love with this and not be able to live without it. And that's great for the company and great for you, you know? So there's just a lot of those pieces where, you know, I am discouraged in some days and more hopeful on other days that some of the lessons that we've learned, or I wish we learned, you know, coming into this school year and the new calendar year are, are sticking. I think there's some places where they've done a great job of avoiding some of the nostalgia or just the run back to the way it was. Cause that's comfortable and safe, you know, and then other places that are really taking this opportunity to say our vocabulary around student privacy and data is a lot better than it was two years ago. So we can make smarter decisions, or I know what to ask when I get on the phone with a company, if I'm a superintendent, cause I know my teachers need X, Y, and Z. And I want to ask those questions when I'm vetting a new product or platform. So I think there's a lot of people who are better informed, have a stronger vocabulary, can ask more strategic questions to make sure something's the right fit for their classroom, school, and district. But then I do think there are pockets where, you know, they've just kind of run away from all of this to go back to what felt good beforehand. And it's, you know, unfortunate uh, that some of those pieces aren't built into just kind of the normal routine. Yeah. And of all the technology you saw and all the districts kind of doing so much, I mean, a lot of it was reflexive of, oh, my God, I've got to do this. But now with the, the pandemic entering a new school year, there there was a hint of opportunity to be more proactive. Were there things in technology that you were like just excited you and you've never seen that movement towards them too, because you have that unique vantage point that I'd just be curious about. You, you've seen all the technology, you go all yeah, the tech mm-hmm. shows where, where there's stuff, I mean, it doesn't have to be new, but you finally saw it in action in schools <laughs> Were yeah. there anything going on. So I think one of the things that, and I know it's still coming up a lot in my conversations when I, you know, give a list of potential topics to a group that we're working together, it tends to be the one that people are jumping to right now, which is around the curation of resources. So choosing really what's going to be best for a unit of study. We're teaching ecosystems. This is going to be helpful for us. And there's a level of colleague collaboration that goes into that too. So for as much as it's been nice to see some streamlining within a school or district to say, we can't use all these tools. We have to choose our one LMS or we have to choose our one parent communication tool. We can't have a family getting five different messages for each five of their kids or the five courses that their one high schooler is in. Right. Um, so, you know, that's been nice, but I think it's been great to see some of these more thoughtful curation. I think that's why Wakelet has become really popular this year, right? People are talking about how they can use some of the tools they're already comfortable with, like Google Docs, more thoughtfully to just organize information or to connect with colleagues. They were doing that because they had to in a lot of circumstances when they were making, say, a curriculum map or plugging into a calendar on what they want to work on. I know I was leading sessions with educators last year where we were kind of pacing, you know, things out that 
way. But now that's a skill that's been built that is now transferring into right our current environment. So you might still be you know around a meeting table and using some of those muscles that you were using at a distance for planning, right, for this in-person piece. And not to say that wasn't happening in places before all of this, right? Using those collaborative spaces thoughtfully, but I think it's just more of a, an uptick or a wider adoption, at least in you know the places that I, I'm working with. When we will be launching this episode, it'll be around mid-December. So kind of let's fast forward to that time yeah. and mm-hmm. let's fast forward to what an educator may be feeling. So we have a couple of audiences listening in. We've got, you know, the ed tech marketers and some of them may be new to the space of yeah. education. Mm-hmm. I work with a lot of marketing managers and CMOs that are just mission driven, but really don't have a lot of experience. Mm -hmm. So it's really helpful for people to hear of what's that mindset of an educator in mid-December and throw in a pandemic. Right now, burnout is at an all-time high and it never really stopped being at an all-time high. If you are an ed tech company and you're trying to gain the attention of an educator mid-December, how do you begin to do that? Yeah. And, you know, as we're recording this, you know, just six or, you know, eight weeks or so out, right. Those are the conversations that I've been having all week, right. With folks who are saying, is there, is there time for us to get on your editor, my editorial calendar, right. Or, you know, do you think it's worth us doing a giveaway now, right. Or or working with some of these different brands or a lot of those same conversations. And so what I share with them is, you know, typically this December time, and we're taking out this year and we're taking out last year, right? But in the other years that I've been doing this work, the December time isn't so much of a drop-off as much as an opportunity, especially the second half for someone who's really passionate to have more time to dive in more deeply. So you might have a more general population of educators who are rightfully taking that time and that moment to step back and put their priorities somewhere else. But if you have people that just wish they had more time in the day to dive into these things, well, they do have a little bit more time, you know, at the end of December to really sit down and open up that email or try out that piece. And so there's a quality versus quantity shift that can take place this time of year. I find that my traffic for my website does not go down right during this holiday period. Uh, For me, my only time is like, I call it the kind of stay away time. It tends to be that Fourth of July week where like everyone's on vacation, right? No matter what your role is in the space of education, like maybe not the best time. The whole world, right? The whole world, right? Down that week. Yeah. So I'm like, that's my big stay away time. But I, you know, I think this is kind of a a wild card time typically, right? Like it can be a little tough, a little noisy, a little heavy on emails and competitive with other people's holiday promotions unrelated to education that might also fill up someone's inbox. But that being said, it is a chance for people to dive in and, and dig into pieces. And, you know, I've seen educators who, run courses, do big launches, you know, at the end of December, I typically, you know, for family reasons and all the reasons like to move that into a a January, July cycle for me, but I still see a lot of traffic, plenty of interest, but right now is different. And just like you said, the burnout piece, everyone is who entered into this school year. It's very, very different. The start of this school year to even the start of last school year. So 
I'm hopeful that there will be more of a new school year restart feel in January of this year. Um, if we get through this winter and it doesn't feel scary and it doesn't feel as heavy um, as we might have anticipated this winter feeling from a health and safety and all those perspectives, I'm hopeful that some of that September energy that we didn't have this past September will come into the first chunk of the calendar year with people seeing January as a new reset. Um, as opposed to the way they see that August, September beginning of the school year. Yeah. And as you were talking, I was reflecting that I really feel like November and December is a great opportunity to, to dive deeper into current relationships mm -hmm. and make sure your current users, audiences, community, whatever you have, make sure that they feel supported. Yeah. So it's more of, if we're talking about the marketing funnel, we're really operating at the bottom because you already have them as customers, but how can we make sure that they know that you care and that you're there? So what I love doing in kind of around Thanksgiving is that gratitude, really going out of your way to do authentic authentic messages around how thankful you are. And then around the holidays, like handwritten notes, those things. So it's just reestablishing relationships with folks. And then the new year is, I feel like more of that top of the funnel where you can say mm -hmm. people are more open to new things with new year's resolutions and intentions. But it's, a, and I think that, like you said, some people want to dive deep too. So give them yeah. stuff to dive deep. But I also think it's a fun time to throw non-education things at them, mm -hmm. like winter reads that can just inspire the soul. Those things are really helpful. But and I think that the lightness around that too is interesting to consider. I have a post that's going up on um, my blog right around Thanksgiving. That's a what's on my desk post. So not a gift guide this year, because I've done that a few different times, but more of the like, what's working for me? What can I live with? What's, what's always got to be like on an arm's reach for me, right? So I think some of those behind the scenes, the components that might fall more into say retention for current schools and that you're working with just leaning into that. I know that's been a time where people are pulled in different directions, but they want to come back to those things that they love. So I think it's a good opportunity to just re-engage with folks who might love you right, as a company, as a platform, as a tool, um, but not have had the brain space to, to spend that time. Great. We've talked a little bit about this, but being an educator and now someone who partners with the ed techs, you've got your feet in both areas. Mm -hmm. It was a bit general, but what do you think ed tech companies should do more of or less of? Are there things that they do when they approach educators when we're talking about teachers in the classroom, educators, education administrators, and even parents? Are, are there things that you've seen that you're like, please don't do this again, ed tech mm -hmm. brands? Or, you know, there's some great best practices out there. Please do more yeah. than that. <laughs> Yeah. So I think it comes a lot of, for, for me, comes down to authenticity in terms of messaging. So although you might hear a lot of people talking about social, emotional learning, if you do not really support that in an authentic way, like stay away from that buzzword, right? Or don't plug that into your messaging because other people are using it and talking about it. Doesn't mean you can't acknowledge a connection uh, that you know is there, but some of those pieces, I think, are kind of those ick moments 
moments where you're like, Oh, don't do that. Like if I see an email sometime come through, I'm like, Oh, not a, like, I don't love that. Or I, you know, I know the best intentions are there with that sort of piece, but I don't know that that's the right way to go about it. Or it's going to help someone in the long run, um, in terms of really getting someone in who's going to be, um, excited and really wanting to work with that particular group or platform. So for me, those would be kind of a, a stay away piece is really avoiding some of those things that are, you know, maybe not really aligned to your specific mission and bringing them in just kind of for the sake of it. Um, you know, one thing that I've seen that I really love, and I think it's a big part of the storytelling, you mentioned storytelling earlier, is just having those quick visuals that help me understand what it is that you can accomplish as a platform or a service, what it is that you offer teachers. I'm always looking on someone's website for that 30 second video that gives me the quick overview of what they actually do or, or what it is that they are, are able to do. So for me, that's one of the kind of must haves or things that I'm, I'm looking for that I think some ed tech companies do a really great job with. Yeah, that's a really great point is educators, I believe out of any other audience can sniff out inauthenticity a mile away. And if you throw in a word like equity, please back it up. Right. You know, mm -hmm. Same with social and emotional learning. Um, I think that sometimes ed tech brands tend to piggyback off of keywords and don't really understand the ramifications or put it into action. We saw a lot of that with common core back in the day. Yes. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Everything was common core. Right. And then until right. there was a backlash and then we read named it lots of things. <laughs> yeah. And I try with, even with those words, you know, to say, you know, when I'm having those conversations, because when, so when I'm partnering with companies, a lot of, you know, times, you know, our conversation comes to, well, when they come for me, where are they going? Right. Like I want a promotion that I'm helping with to be successful, you know? So what is your landing page going to look like when they get there? Right. What is, what are they going to do? What are you hoping to accomplish? Right. And so when we're having those conversations around messaging or what I'm going to share, you know, on their behalf, you know, I try to really instill that, you know, acknowledge that it's wonderful, right? That you also think that social emotional learning or equity is important or whatever it might be. But if you're not really addressing this concern, right, it's not a great way to enter the conversation with someone um, because it could just like you said, you know, backfire, leave a bad taste in someone's mouth or give the impression that that thing doesn't work because it didn't actually address this other thing when it can actually do a great job with its primary goal or mission. Yeah. And it's never just a one hit, right? right? And so it's all about commitment and consistency. And I know you know that about that beyond anyone else, because I see you in every single channel consistently. And when we work with brands, it's, it's not about this one piece of content you're going to create. It's about how do you show up and demonstrate it throughout the year? Um, mm -hmm. I talk a lot about that with educator appreciation too. It's not mm -hmm. just this one day that you go out right. and educators, <laughs> especially in the pandemic, you should be doing it every day. Mm -hmm. And that never gets old. P.S. Yeah. So it's, it's about that commitment. You know, we all talk about in education, lifelong learning. So like just own it and it's mm -hmm. like social media, everything is, it's a marriage. <laughs> it is yeah. not dating. And consistency in all of these spaces, I think is really 
crucial. And so even if it's a company that just has the commitment to push out their newsletter once a month or twice a month, and maybe isn't ready to tackle social without some support, you know, of an expert who can help them really be thoughtful about it, you know, wherever that consistency can happen. I think, you know, one of the things that I'm always excited to see from ed tech brands is that they're showing up. And whatever that looks like for them, you know, connects to their own, you know, feel like I smile every time I see a Flipgrid newsletter in my inbox because I'm like, what are they up to? <laughs> you know, or, ooh, look who's going to be on a Flipgrid live, right? Like I am interested and excited and I expect it. Like if six weeks went by and I didn't get that newsletter, I'd be worried, right? Or or wondering if I, if I unsubscribed, like I'd almost think it was my fault, right? That I hit the wrong button when I clicked on something because I'm just conditioned to see value and what they're sharing, you know, consistently. Yeah, it's it's so important, especially in ed tech, I would say. When I first got into the industry, there I didn't understand the hesitancy with educators to use new products. And I found that one of the driving factors beyond just human nature and all these psychology of just motivation, some of it was that they can't trust ed techs because they get bought or they mm-hmm. run out of cash flow and die. And so if you don't hear from them consistently, you're like, oh, oh gosh, are they okay? <laughs> are they going to be around? Yeah. Am I going to have to switch all my lesson plans? <laughs> but some, or, you know, the way I deliver, I'm going to have to completely change because I relied on this tool. So that's a big thing. It's huge. It's so huge. And, you know, when I talk to educators, when I talk to folks at ed tech companies, you know, about all of those pieces, right, there's a lot of levels that make it hard for someone to commit or use something. It can be as simple as, I don't know what button to press when I get to your website, right? And I say simple because that should be a simple fix, right, for us to, but it's a big problem, right? Or there's too many barriers for me to sign into something, or I can't imagine getting my second grade a new set of logins for this tool, right? It could be something that, you know, is really just a core component of that, but also that, you know, I've been burned before, or I created all these things in this tool and then they're gone. Or now they're, you know, there's no easy way for me to replace this or substitute this workflow. And so, you know, when I even talk to educators running professional development, you know, I am always giving a tool, right? I'm always spotlighting something so they can actually put that idea into action. But I really try and focus in on the strategy or say, you could also do this with, right? Like this also works. So just earlier this week, I ran a formative assessment session for a group of Connecticut librarians for one of their PD days. And we were looking at formative assessment strategies. And one of them was around this idea of voice comments, right? And how powerful it can be for a student to hear their teacher's voice when they're commenting on their work. And so, you know, one of the examples I gave was moat, which I really love. But then I also said, you know how we looked at Seesaw for that other strategy before? You can leave voice comments there too. And you can probably do it in the space that you are already using. So look for a button that has a microphone on it next time you go leave a comment because it might be there, you know? And I think that's part of just the capacity building too, that makes it easier for educators to have a level of confidence to try something new because they can see the value, they see the connection to something else. And just like we were talking about the vocabulary building around technology because of the pandemic, I think now people, you don't know what you don't know. And now if you know a couple more things about this, like you can make those connections. 
Yeah. And I love it. You're starting to get into this world of practical Monica that I see too. So a lot of the times you're in the strategy and you're, you're blogging at Edutopia and getting smart mm-hmm. and all these places or your book, which is high level strategies, but you're also known for like a lot of practical, like, wow, this is, is not going to like change the way I view teaching, but gosh, it changes my every day because yeah. this one tool helps me. Do you have, mm-hmm. I mean, you're on the front lines of seeing where educators struggle in technology. Are there types of technology that you've seen them just their light bulb go off and go, oh my God, thank you. All right. You see some trends around yeah. that, the technology and tools. So there's so many out there, right? I yeah. think one that for me, I get a lot of aha moments and it's one that I come back to a lot when I uh, push back to people. And these are people outside of education typically who say like, oh, you know, all the veteran teachers must hate all this technology or they must not like having to. And, you know, I'm like, these are the people who have the experience to be able to know how this is going to change their classroom. Right. And this is, I'm even speaking pre pandemic. Right. And so one of my favorite ones to illustrate that is Google arts and culture, simple, free tool. There's a virtual reality-esque component where you can do these panoramic walks on trails in the Grand Canyon. You can walk through the Palace of Versailles. I always say that it's no substitute for the real thing, but there's plenty of places you can't go, right? With students now or in the past, you know, or into space or any of these other options. And I love that tool because it's a really simple way to illustrate this could change the way that you talk about a novel because you've now walked through this space with your students and they get how big it is or how small it is or what it must feel like to get there. And if you've been teaching the same novel study for 20 years, nothing wrong with, you know, great pieces of American literature, I guess. Right. But if you've been revisiting the same book, this is going to hit differently with the vocabulary, with the context and all the things that you might have always done. And we're kind of working for you. Right. But now this is going to take it to the next level or reach those two kids who always couldn't wrap their head around what that place was like, you know, and it's not just, you know, that particular ELA example, you could pull it into all different sorts of content areas, which is another reason why I like Google arts and culture. I'm mentioning that one so much, but it's also a great way for me when I'm working with educators to illustrate, like, this is cool, right? We all said, Ooh, like, look at this, but then we can pause and say, what kind of discussion questions can I put alongside this? This isn't kids staring at their screen for 20 minutes, you know, standing on the edge of a volcano, right? This is them looking at it, exploring, and then turning and talking to the person next to them about their observations and what they see, you pushing the conversation, you revisiting something, or maybe it's even a tool someone has in their back pocket for a teachable moment when they realize nobody has any idea what they're talking about, you know, and now they're going to bring up this on a interactive whiteboard in the classroom and walk around for two minutes and it totally transforms the conversation. So that's one that I come back to a lot because it helps illustrate a lot of concepts it's very actionable, searchable, free, you know, easy on all the platforms. So when I go to a space, especially if I'm not quite sure who's going to be in the virtual or physical room, you know, in terms of content area um, and grade level, it's really flexible, which is also something that I love when, when looking for resources that cast a wide net. Yeah. And I know that you are in the thick of so many ed tech tools. So for all of you listening, I think you probably put at least two to three pieces of content out at least per week um, around ed tech tools. So if, if you have any challenge, <laughs> we'll tell you how to get a hold of Monica, but she's got a write up about it and with experience. So 
I know that that is a, a robust question to throw at you last yeah. minute. But <laughs> as we kind of round out this podcast, I know you have a new book coming out. And yeah. I, I see it right behind you, too, EdTech yeah. Essentials. And maybe walk us through what's in there and what would be helpful for an educator, especially right now. Absolutely. So this is a book that um, I published with ASCD. So I wrote the book Tasks Before Apps with them in 2017. And so this came out just a, a few months ago now. And it's really about prioritizing focusing in on what is truly essential. There's so much that you can do with technology right in this space. And so I look at 10, what I call essential strategies um, that you can unpack and make your own depending on where you are and what you're working on. So, you know, we really framed the book to be inclusive of all different types of learning environments. So with hybrid strategies, distant strategies, in-person strategies, we kind of went through the last round of finalizing things in the midst of this past year, you know, when we were looking at learning environments in a lot of different ways. So there's the kind of core best practices with that relevant relevancy of all the things that we're trying to tackle, including some of the, you know, unknowns that might pop up again. And so, you know, it's designed so that you could do a chapter a month, right? If you're thinking about the school year to say, we're going to focus on curation this month. We're going to focus on navigational strategies this month. We're going to focus on, you know, this or this or this, right? As you move through, um, or you can kind of decide what is it that I need right, as a professional. So if you are making your own professional goals, you might do a book study, but then kind of narrow in on just the one topic that resonates with where you're at and what you're working on. Gosh, I love that, how you frame how you can use the book, because sometimes it can be overwhelming with all the yeah. things, you know, and if this, you're saying this book is really the anti of all the things, it's it's trying to narrow down what matters most, what is mm -hmm. essential, and, and maybe approaching technology with deeper learning in mind, and then pairing it with the technology that you think would do it best with your specific classroom or needs. And that's huge. Mm -hmm. I mean, we've been to every single ISTE convert. Um, yeah. Uh, conference where all of the sessions that are packed are 20 million Google apps for them. I know. And it's flashy tech syndrome, right? But let's mm -hmm. get back to the heart of learning. And I, I'm so glad that this book does that. I know a lot of your stuff does that, but, and then being able to approach it and scaffold it the way, like maybe we just do a chapter a month. That's, mm -hmm. that's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. Thank you. And I think, you know, the, you need to have some tools in your tool belt, but you don't need all the things, right? You know, so there's really that opportunity to narrow it down, to say what's important, what's going to help with these goals that we have. And, and that's really where my head is at when I'm sharing things on the podcast, on the blog, in a workshop, just to make sure people know where to go to get information, but then can choose what's really best for them. Great. Well, rounding out the podcast now, I would love to know, and I know my readers would love to know, given you're always producing, you're producing from your heart in terms of what you're passionate about, like what inspires you? What are you doing or reading or watching that lately just mm -hmm. got you just fired up? Are there some gosh. things that you know of that you're like, gosh, you know, this Netflix series or every day I run to do this. Um, mm -hmm. we, we hear all sorts of answers and it'd be interesting from such a, a person that communicates her passion so frequently, like what keeps you inspired? Great question. I mean, there's a lot of things that I feel really 
lucky to have built into my routine, you know, the past year and a half that just weren't there. And a lot of that is regular check-ins. So I've got a few different groups of educators that are from different parts of my life um, and different parts of my professional life that, you know, every two weeks, every month, whatever it might be, we've been having these nice regular check-ins that have really helped me keep moving. And I think a big part of anyone, you know, I run a business, right? Anytime that you are kind of doing things with a team or without a team, it's nice to have other people's outside perspective. And that's really something that helps me stay out of that rut or kind of pulls me out of that, you know? And I've also felt like this year I've had a little bit more space to notice any of those burnout pieces creep up and just try and identify that and say, what don't I love about this? What doesn't light me up anymore? And really move away from that. So and just not feeling the pressure to have to be in all the spaces. So I get really excited um, using visual spaces to share. I've leaned a lot more into Instagram than maybe Twitter this past year. So I try to be mindful of what is keeping me excited and what I'm kind of eh, just not feeling anymore and reallocating my time to make sure that it's reflective of that as well. Great. Well, thank you so much, Monica, for sharing your time and your wisdom. I would love to hear from you. Um, if people want to learn more about what you do, get your mm -hmm. book, keep in touch with you, what are the best ways for them to reach out to you? Yeah. So I am class tech tips on all platforms. So whether that's Instagram or Twitter or Facebook or Pinterest, even TikTok, there's some videos up there too. <laughs> no dancing, just tick tech tips there. And then my website is class And my podcast is the easy ed tech podcast. Great. Well, thank you again, Monica. And to all of our listeners, thank you for joining us. You can access this episode's show notes and there'll be a ton of resources to everything Monica talked about at leoneconsultinggroup.com backslash seven. So the tons of links. Yeah. We'll also summarize the main points and give you some fun visuals that you can share out to your networks as well. And we will see you next time, everyone. Thank you so much for joining. And if you enjoy anything we're doing here, please leave a review, please rate us. It helps us be seen by others. And I hope you can experience the wisdom that we're, we're trying to get to educators and also marketers. So thank you, Monica. Thank you all for listening. Thanks so much for listening to this week's episode. If you liked what you heard and want to dive deeper, you can visit Leone Consulting Group dot com backslash podcasts for all show notes, links, and freebies mentioned in each episode. And we always love friends. So please connect with us on Twitter at Leone Group. If you enjoyed today's show, go ahead and click the subscribe button to be the first one notified when our next episode is released. We'll see you next week on all things marketing and education.